Here are two back-to-back teasers of two Patreon-only episodes of The Katie Halper Show. The first teaser is of an interview I did with Matt Taibbi at a live show I co-hosted with Struggle Session. You can find both of these episodes on Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. I want to ask you about something that people may not know, but I'm sure was a formative experience for you, which is that you may not know this about Matt, but you were a basketball player in Mongolia. I was. Did you know that? You guys were like, yeah, that's why we follow him. Really? Then we found out about the journalism oh. part. Yeah. So tell us how that happened. I was known as the Mongolian Rodman. <laughs> really? I led the league in rebounding. Um, yeah, I, I was living in Moscow in uh, 1996, and I was playing street basketball uh, at Moscow State University, and uh, I met a, a Mongolian guy, and we were playing, and after the game, he's like, yeah, you know, we have this league back home, the MBA, <laughs> <laughs> the Mongolian Basketball Association. It's the only league in the world that has exactly the same rules as the NBA. <laughs> same distance, three-point wow. line, everything. So I went into my job the next day at the Mo- this paper, the Moscow Times, and I, I'm like, I quit. Uh, <laughs> I got on a, a train, uh, the Trans-Siberian Railroad, and uh, went just blindly went to Ulaanbaatar. I had a tryout with this team called the... Um, Called Altine Borgir. It was the uh, the Mountain Eagles. Uh, wow! Wow! And yeah, so I, I played uh, I played for a full season in the Mongolian Basketball Association. <laughs> and the the really funny thing is the owner was trying to drum up um, uh, press attention, and uh, I was the only non-Mongolian in the league. So he's like, do you think you could ham it up a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> so at the time I had hair, so I was like dying it. Like, I had red Mo- Dennis Rodman <laughs> here, like a blonde beard. I was picking fights every, uh, every game. Like, I would pull a guy's shorts down and everything. So it was, Any piercings? It was, uh, yes, I did have somewhere. piercings oh. at the time. Yeah, you're, just wow. in my ears, though. So, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a really, re- like, super ridiculous, fun experience. <laughs> Unfortunately, I almost died at the end of it. I got pneumonia. Um, but uh, until that, it was fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not from playing too hard. Was it, like, from playing too hard? Well, the, the one of the... <laughs> The gym oh, no. had a hole in the the arena had a hole in the um, in one of the windows and sure. Mo- Mongolia is really cold in the in the winter <laughs> like it makes Russia seem warm right uh, so yeah that that didn't help I don't think got it but uh, it was that's fun. tough for the league it's tough for yeah. the league yeah. to have those broken <laughs> windows ham, terrible ham star yeah open yeah. sky yeah. arena actually yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this teaser is from an interview I did with Alice Speri of the Intercept. The reason why I got interested in all of this is that there's a long history to kind of presenting, of course, there's a long history to presenting uh, mostly black and Latino men in the city in that way. But but there's also a long history of kind of presenting these gang prosecutions as this like massively successful law enforcement operations. And I first wrote a story about this in 2014 when I worked at a different publication. And at that point, there was a different largest gang takedown in New York City history. That that was a state case that that Cy Vance's office brought in in Harlem against 103 people from two Harlem projects. And at that point, I was at a a publication that's not quite like The Intercept, where you you kind of take press releases from the DA and Mm -hmm. the police and just run with what they're saying, which is unfortunately what a lot of the media do for lack of, you know, 
better judgment or right. resources. I don't know. But, um, you know, you only get one side of the story when something like that happens. I mean, all of these hundred something people are in jail. They don't have press offices. All you get is the police statement, the prosecutor statement, their press conference. And in some of these cases, you get local press embedded in the actual raids. So in the Bronx 120 case, there were local reporters with the police as this happened. And we have like dozens of photos of some of these of the guys that were swept up in the raid, you know, that are, of course, pre- presented on the local papers, with, you know, as gang members with like some really sensationalized headline and you get all of their photos. And then two days later, the press moves on and nobody follows up and looks into what actually happened to them and were they ever convicted and right. what were they actually alleged to have done. So that kind of, I think the media played a huge role in kind of presenting these cases and that always bothered me. And the fact that I did it once with that one story <laughs> really bothered me. Right. So I kind of kept looking at it as it kept happening because it has kept happening and we've had dozens of gang raids in the last few years. So you were able to like redeem yourself. I mean, I don't know that I redeemed myself, but it, I, I, certainly the second time around, I was a lot more skeptical. When you meet someone mm-hmm. and you're introduced and you and it's not, and, and I assume this happens when you're embedded, like you get chummy with people. Like you don't want, it's hard to maintain an objective or adversarial attitude towards people. And I, it, you can see this in the media all the time. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. that, that is, I think, the most fundamental problem the media has these yeah. days. That and, you know, the fact that we're dying and have no jobs. And, and so you take the jobs that, that are there, even yeah. though they are problematic. Right? It's very, it's a very, I don't know what the solution is. It's like media people shouldn't be friends with each other, but that's pretty hard to do. Yeah, I mean, it's a fairly incestuous space, yeah, <laughs> for is, sure. Yeah. yeah, I don't really know what the solution is either. I mean, like, you know, the intercept is quite different in that sense, because like our very premise is to like be skeptical of all of this and be adversarial to all of this but including um, to each other which is funny and cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes very much so yeah. <laughs> but um you know even in this baltimore case i've been following there's there are a number of independent journalists in baltimore who are the ones that are actually able to uncover a lot of stuff and then yeah. the, the more like mainstream media there is just sort of limited in, in what they're able to to do so and then there's yes. a question of access. Like, of course, yeah, yeah. access. Be, yeah, and, and honestly, I think access is overrated. I mean, it's yeah. just, uh, what, what is the point of access if you're compromising in order to get it? Right. Um, you can find both of these episodes on Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show.